Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. Uh, we will be wrapping up chapter 4 of Luke. We are working through uh, the Gospel of Luke for this season, so we'll be here for about 10 years. And uh, no, we won't. It'll be less than 10 years, maybe 9. Let's start by taking a look at a few verses uh, regarding the fame of Jesus. And the first one is in verse 14 of chapter 4. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit of t- to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. The next one to look at is verse 37. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And then lastly, chapter 5, verse 15. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Now, in those three verses, there are these reports. So what were those reports about? What did Jesus do? And oftentimes we're asked what we do for work, and for many jobs, the job title suffices, right? Just simply saying you are a chef or you are a teacher, people don't ask what you do because it's kind of implied in that title. And people seem to have this fair grasp on certain occupations. But what do pastors do? So I was at this barbecue uh, several months back with our neighbors, and one of the neighbors asked me, well, what do you do as a pastor? She was, I, I, she was really curious. She knew that I worked on Sunday, but other than that, she didn't know what I did for the rest of the week, and she was a successful business owner. So I went on to tell her that I do things that she does. It, it, it's a similar kind of thing in that you know I, I, uh, I do some strategic planning. I do some networking. I do some leadership development. I do some conflict resolution, some counseling, some budget work. So it, it, it's similar in the business sense, but in the spiritual sense, it, that, which is actually a bigger element of what I do, I, I, I kind of told her about it a little less because you know, she, she didn't believe in God, so I was just trying to build this relationship with her. But now what about Jesus? What was Jesus' daily activity like? What if we asked Jesus, Jesus, what do you do? And I think Jesus would say, you know, I, I preach and uh, I, I, I evade being killed until the proper time. Um, you know, you know, the stoning or being thrown off a cliff, that kind of stuff. Um, and um, I, I throw down with demons. I, I, uh, I heal sick folks and, and I make sure I get some time with God. That's what, that's what about happens in a day's work there, right? So, so Jesus is one bad dude, like... I avoid being killed, I fight demons, and, and I win. And, uh, and by the way, I have this soft side to me. I heal people, and uh, I like spending time with my dad. This is an awesome guy. This is an awesome guy. And so in these first five verses, we have Jesus in the synagogue at Capernaum. Let me just read those to you. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Jesus was this amazing teacher, and people were astonished at his teaching because his word possessed authority. And the authoritative word of Jesus is the theme of this section of Scripture here. And moving through the Gospel, we're going to witness the authority of Jesus. 
See, when rabbis taught, they supported their statements with quotations. Right? They, they always appealed to authority. They would always say, there is a saying that, or Rabbi so-and-so said that. Right? They always appealed to another authority, never taking it on themselves. And then when prophets spoke, they would say, thus saith the Lord. So, that, so with prophets, we, we have this delegated authority. They wouldn't own that authority. Jesus was different. When Jesus spoke, He said, I say to you, so no authority to back him up. No delegated authority. He was authority. This is authority incarnate. Jesus spoke as God. So back to our text, verse 33. Let's, let's talk about synagogues for a little bit here. What were they? Well, synagogues came into existence 600 years before Jesus. It was during the exilic period when the Jews were in exile. So these Jews would band together to assemble into a congregation. And those congregations were known as synagogues. And so as the years went by, the synagogue came to be known as this building where the church or the groups gathered. And it's kind of like how our word church is, right? It used to be the church's people. And now we, when we refer to church, it's usually a building. So synagogues, the, the buildings, they were, they were pretty uniform. They had these elements in them that would be found in all of them. That, that there would be this ark in, in the middle of the room there. Uh, it was like this chest-like apparatus, and it was kind of movable, and that's where they would store the, the law. That's where they would store the prophets. And this box would be put directly opposite the entryway of the synagogue. And so a teacher would read from the law or the prophets. They would read from this platform of sorts that was central to the synagogue. And the architecture of the building reinforced the purpose as to why the congregation assembled in the synagogue. See, everything had a purpose. Everything in the synagogue in design had a purpose and a reason why they did what they did. And even in today's world, if you go talk to an architect, and we have several of them in, here in the body, Ask them how they design things and if they have a purpose. And they always do. And if they don't, then it's not a good architect. And they will debate a bad architect and a good architect and they'll fight about all these design things and stuff like that. But anyway, let's take our church for example. You, you see the church here? See, this church was originally called the First Swedish Baptist Church. And if you take a look behind me at that decorative piece there, it looks like a sail. And the color scheme is that of the Swedish national flag. And they wanted this building to remind them of how they got here. They came here on ships. They wanted to be reminded about their roots. And so it's, it's kind of shaped like a ship. It's kind of this way, and that's how it was designed. And so this was originally a choir pit. It wasn't a stage. This was a choir pit. And where I'm standing now was this enormous pulpit. Huge, huge thing. And there were also seats up here that had lion's heads. And they were more like thrones. And we have a couple of those in the chapel. Now, now back to this huge pulpit that many, many trees died for. Why, why did the Swedish Baptist Church build such a gigantic pulpit? It, it was the central place, right? It was the central place right here. It was a very prominent piece. It's very large. I think we have it in storage somewhere. Um, but, but the reason why they did it was they had such a high regard for the Word of God. That's why they had it. It, it wasn't about the preacher behind the pulpit because 
Because on the wall, if you move those doors, on that wall there were all the pastors, beginning with the founding one, and it just moved all the way across until the most recent one, which is me. I'm a Chinese Swede. So, um, and I'm the only one incapable of growing facial hair. And um, so, but the focus wasn't on the preacher, right? It, it was on the Word of God right here, central to the church. It wasn't on those guys. Those guys are off to the side. Right? And, I, and I've contemplated moving that giant pulpit back in here, but I don't feel like breaking my back again. So, but maybe we will because we have more manly men nowadays that are starting these groups and stuff like that. And So anyway, but I, I'm, I'm worried for contemporary churches because we tend to want to hear from a man rather than to meet God. We go to these places because we want to hear this dynamic speaker or we want this magnetic personality on a stage rather than hearing the Word of God from a pulpit. And it's no wonder that we have this consumer mindset in our churches today. The way that we lay out our churches supports this entertainment mindset. The lights and the sound and all these other things that we put in there. Of course it supports that. Possibly we're even guilty of that. We'll talk about that some more. But rather than fixating on the Word of God, we want to hear what a person has to say and how they say it and how they present it and stuff like that. I'm a preacher. I'm not an entertainer. I'm not. And, and, and I don't want that burden to entertain, which I have felt before. But that's ridiculous. Right? And, and I, I preach the Word of God. And there was nothing special about the layout of the synagogue. There was nothing special about Jesus' physical appearance. They were astonished at His teaching for His Word possessed authority. It was the authority that they were amazed by. Right? He preached the Word of God. There was power. There was authority in His proclamation. He simply preached the law. He simply preached the prophets. And at at the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, God said this, This is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What did He say? Listen to him. That's interesting. Because did you catch that? One of, out, out of all the words God could have used and all the instructions he could have given, he, he said, listen to him. Listen. God could have said, love him, worship him, obey him, adore him, exalt him, follow him, honor, glorify, trust. He could have said all these different things. But what did he say? He said, listen. What Jesus has to say is of utmost importance. And do you recall that conversation on the Emmaus Road after Jesus was made known to those guys in Luke chapter 24? In Luke chapter 24, verse 32, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? See, it wasn't about what they saw, it was what they heard. How about the guards who were supposed to arrest Jesus for the Pharisees in John chapter 7? In John chapter 7, verse 46, the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. See, Jesus spoke the Word of God with an authority, not as an entertainer. You don't read in the Bible saying, like, Oh, that guy is the funniest guy. It just tickled me. Like, right? Jesus had power... Jesus had power over demons, verses 33 and 34. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So you talk about distracting. 
hear Jesus' teaching and a voice that just comes out, Ha! It's a great thing Jesus had a good self-image. 35, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And now you notice that Jesus doesn't have a debate with the guy. right? He, he, just, he just kicks him out. Now according to Jewish tradition, demonic power was to be crushed in the Messianic age. Right, so, so here we witness the authority and the power of Jesus and he had, that He had that over demons. And He basically just says, Shh! Out. And He was gone. Jesus rebuked that demon. It, it wasn't a threat. It was this authoritative control over the power of evil. Right, and what we have here is a sign of Jesus' Messiahship. Luke is pretty clear of Jesus' power over demons in His Gospel. And he even records that the, the demons know who Jesus is, right? It says the Holy One of God. They know who Jesus is. We read how the devil was powerless against Jesus in the temptations a few weeks ago. And, and now Satan has his, his demons, his little minions, joining him in the dirty work, but to no avail. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus, uh, John writes, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You're like, wait a minute. I thought Jesus came to preach the gospel. Yes, but, but those things aren't in opposition to each other, right? The preaching of the good news of the kingdom of God from, the, from last week's message, it was a transformative thing. It was a liberating thing, right? Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Demon possession is in the Gospel. And Jesus liberates people from this oppression and captivity. It's a sign of Jesus' power over the devil's kingdom. It's a claiming of God's kingdom. Verses 36 and 37. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power He commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about Him went out into every place in the surrounding region. They were all amazed. All of them were amazed. So a little bit of background here. These are a people who had some superstitious beliefs. Okay, they, they were accustomed to these demon possessions and, and seeing them. And they were also accustomed to seeing people come and attempt deliverance. And so they were accustomed to all these different methods that people would try to use. One of these such methods was to put a ring under someone's nose of the afflicted person's nose. And then they would, they would say and recite this long spell. And, and suddenly there would this be this splash of water from a, from a basin. Like, praise the Lord! And it was, it was, it was something that, that, was, that was just... They had all these different types of superstitious things going on, right? One of them had dealt with like some dog and digging out a root and all that. They, they had all these different types of things. So they were amazed at the authority of Jesus. Why? Because this is something new. Because all this guy had to do was... Say something. He didn't have to go through all these little ring under noses, tie a dog to a root or anything. He didn't have to do any of that stuff. Because before that, people had to do all these sorts of things to try to cast out these demons. But here's Jesus. And he's just like, shh, out. Did you, did you see that? No ring, no dog, no nothing. He just, he just told him to get out and he got out. It's amazing. The, the demons just leave. He just says it and they just leave. 
You remember the response the disciples gave when, when that storm came at the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Just by a word. He didn't have to do like a rain dance or any, he didn't have to do any of this stuff just by a word. That is what Luke is essentially talking about here in chapter 4. People are wondering, who is this Jesus? What is this word? How, Jesus? Uh, how does he have authority and power to command these unclean spirits from his word? Who is this guy? And questions that some people might even have today. Who is this guy? Isn't Jesus like other religious leaders? And I mean, aren't all those religious leaders the same? Don't all the same thing? It all goes to God, right? The answer is no. No. This is God who came to earth. This is Jesus who the seas listen to. This is Jesus whom demons listen to. He is God. He is King. How do we know? Because He exercises His kingly rule wherever He goes. Whether it's against nature, whether it's against demonic forces, it's His kingdom. Right? And, and a king has rule over His kingdom. What He says goes. So you know what? The, the demons don't question who Jesus is. Right? James tells us in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. They know. Demons understand who Jesus is. They actually have an, a really, really orthodox view of the Bible. Right? They, they just don't want you to have one. But they actually do have one. They understand the truth. They know. They know the truth. They know about the Trinity. They know the, the ultimate end for them. They just don't want you to care about it. See, the ultimate meaning of the ministry of Jesus was, that Jesus was doing here in Capernaum was not the healings. It was not the works in themselves. Right? If we look at the works themselves that Jesus was doing here in Capernaum, we're going to miss the ultimate meaning. What is the ultimate meaning? The ultimate meaning is in who these healings are pointing to. Pointing to Jesus. And what these healings are pointing to they're pointing to His Messiahship. It's not the work themselves that are so amazing. It's Jesus who's amazing. It's who He claims to be who is so amazing. Now let's move from this synagogue to Simon's house. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. You know how this is. Oftentimes after a church service, you want to go out to eat. Right? Many of us do this. I do this every Sunday. I like to eat. As you can tell. 
So here we have Jesus and his crew. They're heading over down to Simon's house to have some chow. And, and so after the service, they were probably indecisive about where to eat, right? Between, you know, should we go down to the falafel truck or kebab king or, you know, mcschnitzel, whatever. And Simon says, hey guys, I, I have an idea. Come over to my place. My mother-in-law, she makes a mean hummus. Like, come over. So some of you would never invite your friends over to your mother-in-law's house because her cooking would be for enemies. But apparently... Simon was very fond of his mother-in-law's cooking. Right? Just not his wife's. You notice he never mentioned his wife? Like, I mean, maybe his wife's cooking was reserved for the enemies. But anyway, so now, now this is Simon. Now who is this Simon? This is Simon Peter. Maybe it hasn't clicked for some of you yet, but here it is. Simon Peter was the first pope. Simon has a mother-in-law. Which means he had a wife. He's not celibate. And I don't mean to bash a major world religion because I actually know a lot of people in that and and they're very godly people and they love Jesus. I'm just saying the dude wasn't celibate. (laughs) Anyway, we're here at Peter's house. Luke tells us that Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And you remember that Luke is a doctor so he knows the difference between a mild-grade fever and a high fever. He's telling us, he's being this diagnostic expert here, that this is a fever that knocked her out. This is a high fever. She was laid flat. We're told that Jesus stood over her and that she rose to serve him. She is laid flat. And so here we have Simon leading the way for his friends to taste his mother-in-law's famous hummus. And as they approach, they don't smell that beautiful pita bread, but rather they find her just laid out and they're like, bummer, man. I heard that she made some mean hummus. I really wanted to taste it. Hey, do you think Jesus can heal her? Because you know he likes to eat, you know. So, so ask him. And so, so Jesus, Jesus says, ah, "I like to eat." Come here. So, so Jesus rebuked the fever; it left her. And did you notice how quickly she was delivered? Immediately, she arose and began to serve them. Popped up. Boop. Let's get cooking. So, you notice how quickly everything in God kingdom listens. In verse 35, the demon comes out without any incident at his word. In Mark chapter 4, the storm ceases at his word. Here the fever leaves at his rebuke. She immediately arose, began to serve them. There wasn't some lag time between the deliverance and the service. When Jesus speaks, everything in the universe listens. And notice that after she was delivered, she began to serve. She didn't go out and tell her neighbors and oh, I was so sick, I was late flat, I had a high fever, and then Jesus came, and let me tell you, I need to go tell Martha, I need to go tell Mary. And I gotta, she didn't go out looking for like some sympathy or some understanding or whatever. She didn't look for people to serve her, even though that would be understandable, right? She was sick. Are you okay? Let me get you some soup. Let me let me serve you. She was she was just really sick a little bit ago. She was laid flat. She should be the one that was served. Don't you think? An elderly person? I mean, this is really foreign to me. If an elderly person was sick and they just felt a little better, Grandma, just sit there. I'm going to get you something to drink. I'm going to get you some tea or whatever. What what do you want? Right? I want to take care of you. She served them. She served them where she was at. She served them exactly where she was at. She showed hospitality. She served them some killer hummus. She didn't have to go do something 
dramatic for God. She didn't go, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to go all over this, the world preaching the Gospel of God. Or she didn't, I'm going to start planting a church. I need to plant a church. Jesus healed me. I'm going to go plant this church. And I'm going to do something really big. I'm going to produce a CD. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just put a CD. Or back then, I guess it was 8-tracks. I'm going to put this 8-track. And she just served Jesus where she was at with the gifts that the Lord gave her then, with the ability that the Lord gave her then. It wasn't anything dramatic about it. She was healed. Nothing dramatic, nothing extraordinary in her service to Jesus. You healed me. I'm going to cook for you. Simple service. Nothing big, nothing dramatic, nothing above and beyond. Nothing, oh, plant a church or whatever you want to do. Go, I want to give my life and I'm going to go to Uganda and help those kids or whatever. Nothing like that. Now we move from Simon's house to a more public place at sunset, which, is mean, which means you know Sabbath is coming to an end here. Verse 40, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now this is a little bit more dramatic. But it's from Jesus. So just picture the scene here. It, the sun is setting. It's like the perfect time to propose. You know, that sort of thing. And, and there are these, all these sick people gathered around. And, and just as Jesus and his followers pr- were probably going to call it a day. Like, you know, it's, it's getting late. Like, let's, just, let's go to bed or whatever. Here are all these sick people that are brought to him. You recall back in verse 19 that Jesus said he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is out of Isaiah chapter 60, uh, 61, verse 2. And you remember that this is in reference to the year of Jubilee. Year of Jubilee. It happened every 50 years. Every Jew knew about this year of Jubilee because it means that all the slaves were set free, all their debts were forgiven. So, so people would buy 30 year mortgages and stuff like that, like two years before the year of Jubilee and stuff like that. Anyway, it's a time of rejuvenation. Slaves set free, debts canceled, all this stuff. Jesus was telling them, you know what? You don't have to wait for that anymore. You don't have to wait for this once-in-a-lifetime event anymore. No more 50 years of waiting because I bring freedom. I bring forgiveness every day. You don't have to wait 50 years. Jubilee is every day from here on out. The Messiah has come with authority and power as evidenced by the things Luke has recorded for us in his Gospel. Peter knew this as he was with Jesus and he explained this to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 verses 37 and 38. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now let's move on, starting with looking at the, the kindness of Jesus in verse 40. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, why did Jesus not allow the demons to speak? It it just wasn't the right time. It would be too easy for the Jews and and the people here who were looking for a a particular kind of Messiah. 
Right? They, the, they were looking for more of this political figure to rescue them, deliver them from the Roman oppression, and deliver them from that. But Jesus was more than that. Right? The message of Jesus wasn't about being a conquering king. The message of Jesus was being a suffering servant. Interesting. Kind of like Simon's mother-in-law. Just a suffering servant. She didn't have to come up and all of a sudden, oh, I'm going to conquer the world now. Jesus, touch me. I'm going to go. The other reason why, there's this process to be gone through. There's a process that Jesus wanted His disciples to go through in order to spread the Gospel. Right? It wasn't as simple as be healed and go. See, some time needed to be invested with Jesus. They needed to know Him. They needed to understand His character. They needed to not just experience healing. They needed to know the heart of God. Then we get to the next day here in verse 42. And when it was day, He departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought Him and came to Him and would have kept Him from leaving them. But He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus gets away a little bit and gets some solitude with God. And the only way Jesus was able to meet the needs of so many was because he was in tune with God, his Father. He spent this time with God. It was the only way that he could give out. And the people went looking for him and then they eventually find him. And you notice that, that Jesus doesn't act holier than thou. Do not interrupt me. I'm spending time with God. I have no time for you. Like, leave me alone. I'm, I'm in the Word. Don't interrupt me. He doesn't complain. Like, Can't you guys leave me alone? I've served you all day long. I've been healing people all day long. Leave me alone. He isn't resentful about the interruption. I need some alone time, please. Just, just alone time. Right? Life is full of interruptions. Life is full of inconveniences. And there are real needs that people have that need to be addressed all over here. And the way Jesus was able to do that was, was He always prioritized being with His Father. Being with God. Praying, meditating, studying. Having time to fill Himself up spiritually before He gave out. You can't do it any other way. Otherwise, it's doing it out of the, out of the flesh. And your flesh can only last so long. We need to be giving out of the Spirit. And to do that, we need to be filled by the Spirit. And so now you notice that unlike His own people in Nazareth who wanted to kill Him, these people wanted to keep them for themselves. Right? They wanted Jesus to stay. He wanted Jesus to stay, be their pastor. Oh, you stay. Be here with us. Right? Can, can you imagine what would happen to the synagogue there if Jesus was on staff there? Like, blow up. Right? And of course they wanted him to stay, right? It's Jesus. Look at the things that this guy can do with a word. I mean, he could say whatever he wanted, it would happen. Sometimes we fall guilty of this ourselves. Right? Where we want to keep Jesus all to ourselves. Right? Jesus, thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for changing my life. But don't go anywhere else. Just stay in my itty-bitty heart right here and just stay with me and talk with me. And you don't want to let it out. 
And you know what? I think Jesus totally understands that because He's that good that you want Him to stay. He is. Of course you stay with me. Of course. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But Jesus doesn't just want to stay with you. He wants to go out. Same thing with our church. We've been blessed so much. We've been blessed so much. In this economy, when things are so rough on other people, the Lord has blessed us financially with, with people, with resources, with different ministries. Like this, this organization that came with these refugees, this is a totally secular organization. They have nothing in regards to Christianity in them at all. But they came to us. And, and, and from all the things that the Lord has blessed us with, we've been able to be a blessing to other people. We've been actually really generous to all these different parachurch organizations around here, other churches that are around here that are hurting. We've been generous. We've been, we've been giving. We've been giving. We, we don't want to keep this for ourselves. It's not about us. It's about the Lord's blessings on us. And how are we going to be good stewards of this stuff? It's not to hoard it all. So we support all this stuff, Right? Trunk or Tree could have easily been fundraiser for regeneration. Thank you for your $500. It was for New Day. It was for New Day. And, and because of that, it, back then it was six kids. They're on their eighth kid now. And, and it's incredible. And I'm not doing this to, to beep the horn of regions. Hey, check us out. Ah, look at this. It, I'm not doing that at all for that. What I'm saying is we're exercising this. We're not keeping Jesus to ourselves. We want to, we want to spread out. We want to spread that good news. We want to get that out there. We, we don't want to hoard this stuff. Even though it's understandable because He is that good. Of course you want to keep that stuff. But when you really love somebody, you want to share that stuff, right? When you really love somebody, when you have like a really great meal, and you're like, this tastes awesome. And if your spouse is across the way or your kids are like, you need to taste this. Right? Well, maybe some of you don't do that. And shame on you. But, but, but the weird thing is also when something tastes really bad, you do that too. Huh? You're like, oh, taste this. <laughs> but I think it's out of love because you're like, oh, wow, I get to taste this awful thing here. You know? Like, so I think it's still out of love because you wouldn't do that with someone you hate. You're like, oh, I hate you here. You, know, you don't do that. You know, like you find somebody you're tight with, right? You're like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus went on proclaiming his authority and his power that his kingdom has come. 50 year jubilee wait, no more. You don't have to. Every day. To free sinners from bondage. Right, to, to liberate people from their oppressions, to help the blind to see, to tell the poor that the kingdom of God is theirs. And Jesus went on to preach. He went on to disciple. He went on to teach. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Don't just keep Jesus to yourself. We have a lot of work to do. I don't know if you guys know this. There's a lot of work to do in this neighborhood. We were on the news. Do you know that? On Friday? They marched right through here. And and we had we had this leadership leadership retreat with the elders, and we had we we had this guy come in. He was from Walnut Creek. He was so scared. 
it was it was so awesome. Like he he couldn't even get his car in here. He had to park like uh, where was he parked? He was parked on seventh. That stuff was happening on sixth. They wouldn't let him in. He ran here, and he didn't even bring his briefcase. I was like, you you ran here, but you didn't bring your briefcase. Said, yeah, I just had to run. And it's like, okay. And so we tried to go back to get his briefcase so he could get, get his notes and all this other stuff, right? And um, they wouldn't let us in. They barricaded the whole thing. And, you know, the funny thing is that he's also my preaching coach. So he, he's going to hear, sorry, Doug. And so, and so um, it was this, this funky, we have a lot of needs here. That's what I'm trying to get at. There, there are so many things that we need to do in terms of our education system, in terms of refugees, and in terms of reaching people that don't know Jesus, and all sorts of stuff. Don't keep Jesus to yourself. We need to get busy evangelizing and discipling or risk fossilizing. Uh, so are we just keeping Jesus to ourselves? Do we, do we just want Him for us, whether that's you personally or us here for our community, and we just want to shield everything out, which is not the case, because I know it's not the case for us. We're very much out there. Now, if you're a believer, the challenge for you is to share Jesus. Share Jesus. Get busy evangelizing and discipling. Otherwise, you're going to fossilize. And if you're an unbeliever, your challenge, if you don't believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your challenge is to believe. Let's pray. And I'd like to pray for those of you who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if you have just felt the Spirit kind of prick you and, and speak to your mind or your heart, I want you to repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for giving me spiritual sight that I could recognize that I need you in my life. And I pray by faith, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit so that I could understand your word. Thank you for liberating me. Thank you for freeing me from my sins. Thank you for offering me that year of jubilee every day. In Jesus' name, amen.